Ladies and gentlemen, we are back. Another disappointing week in the year 2020. The Mayans say that we're due to die on June 21st. But before then, we'll crank out one more episode of the Ball and Roll Pick and Pop. Before we get going, ballandroll.com, your spot for the best basketball content on the web. Shop.ballandroll.com, your spot for the hottest basketball merch on the web. We got a pretty packed episode for you guys. But first, Kevin, how are you doing, dude? Bro, bro. I'm doing sick, bro. I'm doing real good, man. Even though the world is about to end, I'm going to try to live it to the max before that world ends. Today, I I retard my driveway. It was sick, bro. But not yeah. just that. I rented um, the Staten, uh, King of Staten Island. Mm-hmm. Bam. All, everything okay. aside, like, that's such a good movie. You got to watch it. Pete Davidson is one of the funniest humans in the world. And Bill Burr, too. Great combo. Like It's just, if you're, I don't know, like if you're not offended by a little bit of dark, sadistic humor, yeah. you might like this. It's it's hilarious. So I'm doing good, man. How you doing? I'm doing okay. So with the whole world coming to an end, are you saying that you're here for a good time, not a long time? Dude, always. Strictly. Always. that's how i like to live my life baby i already took out a second mortgage i'm about to put it on um the phoenix suns making the playoffs they're at what is it negative five thousand odds Mm -hmm. which is real good real good this is real good baby that payout oh it depends who even makes it to orlando but um i'm doing okay though i'm uh, i'm living my life doing my work uh we might we might connect tomorrow. Not might we will. Y- yes, sir. Yes, sir. I get to see my baby boy after like when was the last time I saw you? <sighs> when was the time? No, I I came to I came to you. Oh, I know, I know when the last we watched time. we watched Mason Rudolph get his face smashed in by Miles Garrett. Yeah, that was that was that was one time, but the last time was when we got that air. Airbnb at in St. Catharines. That didn't happen. I wasn't there. I know. What do you mean? I know. That was, you bailed. I didn't bail. It's called real life, Richard. Get with it. <laughs> I tried throwing you under the bus. You fully Sorry. Bailed. We don't all have three-car garages where our life is so dandy and easy, okay? Uh, <laughs> I, I park on the street, dog. <laughs> um, what was that um, Mason Rudolph game? It, I, I forget, it was like something toward the end of the football season. So it was like November. I, oh, you're right. I think it was November. I, I think it was November. I haven't seen you since 2019. Dude, have Dude. you changed? No. I have. Have you? Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm 7'2 now. Yeah. I went through like a growth spurt. It was crazy. I went like heavy on broccoli. Uh-huh. Broccoli, broccoli, broccoli. And it made me look like a tree. <laughs> <laughs> That's what happened. <laughs> I got you. <laughs> but, yeah. Um, lots to discuss today. Uh, some wild stuff going on in the NBA. We're going to talk some NBA draft stuff because I believe I believe this is like right around the week of the draft, at least when it was supposed to happen. So we'll be drafting. Yeah. We could have drafted Lamelo Ball, but like now you guys got to wait. But we got to start off with what's going on in the NBA. So the plan for about a month has been the NBA has to restart its season 
July 31st. It got pushed uh, pushed ahead to July 30th now. The NBA PA agreed to it. The NBA agreed to it. The owners, the players, they came together. Everything seemed to be smooth sailing. Orlando, Florida, tons of testing was being assembled. Everything was getting prepared. Everyone was getting ready. But now, I don't know, is Orlando kind of in question because of everything going on in terms of social reform and all the protests? And it seems like a lot of the players are not eager to return. So, Kevin, like, can you tell me what's going on right now? Bro, I don't know. I don't think anybody actually knows. Even Woj doesn't know, which is the crazy part. Woj came up with the tweet today saying that uh, um, he was surprised by the amount of people that associated with Kyrie's mm-hmm. sort of thought. You know, but nobody knows what the majority reasoning is. Like, it's not unified as in like everyone's coming forward with saying that, you know, it is to fight the social injustice Mm -hmm. or uh, or the other reason being, you know, uh, they're afraid of catching COVID-19. Those are the only two things that are reasonings that I could think. Uh, yeah. Why players wouldn't want to come back. But Kyrie kind of being he's been the MC of this whole thing where he's supposedly hosting all the calls and making sure everyone's available and catering all these events. But yeah. I like to me, if see, it's not my place because this is uh, I mean, this is all our fight, but it's not. I'm not the um, per- one who's persecuted. So I can't I can't be the one that comes out and says, like, this is how you should do it. This is how you should. Because that's not fair. That's very tone deaf. And that's not fair at all for me to say that. But as a third uh, like third party kind of looking in, uh, what I could say is that if this is a fight against social injustice, hmm. there is a there, there there is a different way to do it. Like you look hmm. at certain players who came out and said that, you know what, playing uh, uh, during this time, it's not just shutting up and dribbling. Like that—that's that's taking away so much from the from the game of basketball. Like so much from like what um, uh, Kareem and what Bill Russell fought for in the earlier days in order to establish the uh, the league to a position where it's you have so much freedom to express yourself. Like when the whole Camp Reed shirts initially came out. Like these players had moments of silence. They they went out there, they voiced their opinion. LeBron himself, like, dude, this guy is the icon for uh, voicing their opinions and f- fighting against everything that's wrong. He's even well, looking forward to playing because he realizes that there is a platform. Like, dude, millions and millions of people are going to be tuning in to watch you play and watch the press conferences and everything like that, close, even closer to the playoffs. During that moment, you can give the voice to the unheard. You can push your agenda. You can you can you can get that out there. Mm-hmm. That's what I think. Yeah. So just to reiterate, I believe it was over the weekend. Kyrie Irving um, had this conference call with who knows how many players. Some reported like 150, another reports at 80. But essentially, player uh, Kyrie Irving felt uncomfortable going to this bubble site, which has been discussed for over a month now. I'm not really sure why all of a sudden. It's become a concern. But on Monday, um, he released a statement. And to preface this, Kyrie Irving is on the executive council of Mm -hmm. the NBA. He is, I believe he is the vice president and Chris Paul is the president. So (laughs) have you have you heard his actual statement? I've I've read it all like on Instagram and stuff like that. So here, I'll just quickly read through it for you. 
Uh, we are a group of men and women from different teams and industries that are normally painted as opponents, but have put our egos and differences aside to make sure we stand united and demand honesty during these uncertain times. Native, indigenous, African, Caribbean men and women entertaining the world will continue to use our voices and platforms for positive change and truth. We are truly an inflection point in we are truly at an inflection point in history, where as a collective community, we can band together, unify, and move as one. We, we need all our people with us, and we will stand together in solidarity. Um, as an oppressed community, we're going on a 500-plus years of being systematically targeted, used for our IP, talent, and also still being killed by the very people that are supposed to protect and serve us. We had enough. So what this feels like is obviously in the light of the George Floyd murder. But as, as Kyrie Irving points here, this has been happening for over 500 years. It's just very odd to me how this just comes up now. Kyrie Irving was one of the guys who voted for the league to restart over a month ago. Now there's an issue. And like you said, I just, look, this is their job, right? Like, I know they're financially stable, and they can say that they can just stop playing and focus on these issues. And these issues are incredibly important. Um, but that being said, you still have to do your job. And there are many different ways to still protest, to still fight for social reform while still, do, while still doing your job. Like you said, LeBron James has been doing it for his entire career. He's been around for like 20 years. And I mean, again, if, I don't think that it seemed to me, it seems like the majority of the players still want to play. I don't know how many don't. I know Avery Bradley's one of them, Dwight Howard, Kyrie Irving, and I mean, Kyrie Irving's ruled out, so he can't play anyways. Yeah. But I think the majority are still willing to play. Mm-hmm. And nobody's forcing the other half not to play. The NBA PA and the NBA have come to a provision last week where players are not going to be disciplined if they don't show up to the bubble city, whether it's because of fear of COVID, whether it's because of protests, whether it's they don't want to be isolated in this, in this resort, that's up to them. That's their prerogative. They just get their prorated pay for the games. So I I don't know. This is all just confusing to me because like you said, the NBA is so player driven, like, Adam Silver was on ESPN last night talking about the NBA's restart plan. And he mentioned that he's going, the NBA is going to use this platform when the world's giving the NBA it's the attention because the sports are back to preach Black Lives Matter and to use their platform to fight for social reform. Protest is definitely a great way to fight, but there are other ways. It's donations. It's using social media and the NBA can do so much. And I think it's a little, I think it's a little narrow minded to say that you shouldn't go back to the NBA because of this issue, because I think you can do both. And I think you should do both if you're really passionate about it, you know? So um, do you know if it is uh, Kyrie Irving and that group, they want to kind of boycott the season? Is that their goal? I have, I have no idea, but that's what it seems like. Because if that's the case, I, I don't think that's fair because, I mean, I, I, I think it's all up to uh, the person to determine how they want to fight. 
Exactly. Like if they if they want to fight by not playing, that that's fine. That's your choice. Do that. But who are you to take the voice away from a guy who will have like a few million people watching mm. him and listening to him? Like taking that platform away from him, mm-hmm. uh, so he can voice it. Right. That that's not fair. I, I, I to me, I I feel like the way everything's going about it, it's very immature. Even Perkins, Kendrick Perkins, he called out Kyrie Irving because Kyrie Irving made a statement saying that. He's willing to um, do uh, he, Yeah, he's willing to just give up everything. Yeah, yeah. And Kendrick was like, you know, it's not just willing, just do it. Right. You, yeah. All these guys, they're just talking. They're talking about, I'll, I could do this. I could do this. Just go and do it, man. LeBron yeah. is that guy. Like, we, he, as much as, you know, I'm not, you know, why, I don't know why I preface. Every time I start talking about LeBron, I don't know why I have to preface with, I'm not the biggest LeBron fan. I, like, I that, mean, that, that means. <laughs> it takes bias out of it. Uh, yeah, I'm taking the bias completely out of it, okay? Yeah. I'm biased. <laughs> because that's what we are. We are unbiased sports journalists. Yeah. yeah. No. <laughs> I feel like you're not a big LeBron guy. When Whenever you say something good about LeBron, you have to preface it. I have to. Not a LeBron guy. So that you're goes not to show like, the value of my compliment to him. Yes. Right? Yes. That's the thing. So, like, LeBron, he is a guy who's fought this fight for the longest time, and he does it. He puts the, his money where his mouth is. He lets his actions speak. It's not just talk, talk, talk. He goes and gets it done. Yeah. And, and yeah. yeah, go ahead. And, dude, that, like, the thing we're trying to do here is we're not trying to be insensitive to the issue. No. We understand it's incredibly important. And if players want to protest, if players want to make statements, if players want to donate, if they want to do something to help the cause, by all means, I want them to do that because 100%. it's an important issue and it's something that we all have to collectively fight and we cannot stay silent. But, dude, it's literally Kendrick Perkins hit the nail on the head. If these guys want to do something, they should do it. They shouldn't yeah. just talk about it on a phone call. And, I mean, the phone call just happened a couple days ago, but these protests have been going on for two weeks. You have, like, you have to take some sort of action, you know? Yeah, I don't know whether— protests have been going on for years. Well, As you said earlier, it's like, it's not a new thing. Like, this is, this is a fight that's been happening for a long time. And to me personally, the moment you stop playing, the moment you start thinking that this is just a game, you're yeah. feeding into the narrative set by people like Laura Ingram— telling LeBron to shut up and dribble. This is not just shut up and dribble. Like, this league is not just shut up and dribble. This is one of the very few leagues where you have that freedom and that independence to kind of showcase yourself. You can go out there and voice anything you want, Mm -hmm. if it's, of course, worded appropriately, but but voice it. You have that platform to do it. Take advantage of that. And... Another thing, um, I think Kendrick Perkins mentioned it, but while I was digging into this as well, I I found out that Maya Moore, who is mm-hmm. a very prominent name in the in the uh, WNBA, I yep. think she's an all-star a couple of times, but she is, I think she's in her early 30s now, and she decided to leave the WNBA in 2019. She didn't play in 2019, and she's going to be taking this 2020 season off as well. Uh, the WNBA just announced that they're going to have a season at the IMG Academy, but she said that she would take this season out, uh, this season off, because for the past two years she has decided to advocate for um, reform in the uh, the American justice system. So she's been putting her money where her mouth is. 
Like she hasn't been just all talk. She literally gave up everything, her basketball career, WNBA, EuroLeague, to fight this cause, which is important to her. If Kyrie Irving says he's willing to give up everything, then do it. Exactly. If that's how you feel, you can retire right now. And luckily for you, you have enough money to survive for the rest of your life. If this is how you feel, you can be like Colin Kaepernick. He hasn't been around for three years, but he was fighting against police brutality, against race, uh, uh, preaching anti-racism. Kyrie Irving can do the same thing. Mm-hmm. If that's how he feels, he can do that. And I'm totally okay with that. But it's not fair of him to say that the NBA shouldn't go on. The NBA should go on because that's what these guys do. Yeah, I understand. Shut up and dribble. But they have all these people have been giving given that platform because they're really, really good at basketball. And that's their passion. That's what they do. And through basketball, they are able to to create change. Just look at and what sorry. One one last thing, like look at NBA Global, like what they do all around the world that happens through basketball. Like basketball touches lives. The NBA has been able to create so much change because of the platform that the players are given. When you get to Orlando, it's not just about fighting for playing for a championship. It's not just about returning to play, but millions of people are going to be watching. There were like 56 million people tuning into the NFL draft to watch. Exactly. Hell just read stuff off a piece of paper. Imagine what happens when actual sports come back. And in the NBA, it's so different. Players have a voice. They have social media. They can wear like the I Can't Breathe shirts. They can use all of their resources to fight this cause. You don't have to just protest. If you want to only protest, by all means, don't show up, do that. But don't prevent this from happening because you don't agree with it. If you don't agree, don't don't show up. You have that option. And you, you, we've seen protests through sports work. I mean, one of the biggest things that have pissed off the people on the other side uh, of this protest was taking a knee in NFL. There was such an uproar over Colin Kaepernick taking a knee. And that started a huge movement, a huge moment where you saw the divide and you saw the fight that's happening. And it raised an awareness towards that. And that is just by taking a knee. Yeah. Like that's, that's the thing. Like right now, there's no sports going on. And the world, they're looking for something, dude. Like the fact that, yeah, 37 million tuned in to watch some dude get picked to go to a team like that's it like there was not nothing about sports there but imagine what would happen with like nba playoffs or nba finals like that platform is going to be huge you got to take advantage of that yeah no dude i i completely agree and jesus i completely lost my train of thought oh yeah so one of the things that i found really interesting about this whole thing is kyrie irving said that this whole orlando situation is really fishy and how it feels like they're trying to isolate black people on one little in one site. And I found that really, really strange because you voted for this. You understood this was hap- going to happen. The reason the NBA is doing all this, it's not to isolate you. It's not to use you for entertainment. Like, let's put it this way. The NBA is sports entertainment. Like, if you're mm-hmm. going to play professional mm-hmm. basketball, you're going to be partially an entertainer. So what you sign up for because millions of people check it and tune in to watch you play. You're an entertainment tainer. You're a showman. 
That's part of the job. And that's something you sign up for. But that's a reach, man. That's such a reach. Trying to isolate all the black people in one area. That's such a reach. Like, understand. I, I, okay. I, first of all, NBA itself, it's big, but not big enough to be like, you're going to make a huge dent. Like, that's not that's not all of black people. And also, there's a lot of different races in, in the NBA as well. Shout out to Kyle Culver. <laughs> but I don't know. That's such a reach. And like, we're not here to say Kyrie Irving is wrong. Kyrie Irving is right. Now that's not our place. Like clearly, you know, he, he has a good intentions. Like he might be fighting the good fight, and we're not here to say that's wrong. But we're just saying there might be a different way to go about it as well. Yeah, and that's the thing. There's trainers coming, coaches, and team personnel. There's going to be a lot of white people there too, and. I no found Indian it, people, though. Unless Vivek Randanavev? I mean, you never know. I have no idea who's on the team personnel side. But, like, for example, Dr. Fauci. And you know how big of a Dr. Fauci fans we are in this podcast. Dude, we, Fauci, come through, man. Yeah. Or play me one-on-one. Let me cross you up. Exactly. But Dr. Fauci addressed this NBA environment that's going to be in Orlando. And he said that this is going to be the safest, safest across all of sports. And he endorsed it. Mm-hmm. So, and this is the dude who's like the spokesperson for this coronavirus. The NBA is taking every single precaution to protect its players, to protect its coaches. There's going to be um, like a biweekly or triweekly swab testing to make sure everyone's mm-hmm. healthy. They're making sure players quarantine if they leave the premises for a certain amount of time. Everybody needs to have approval. The reason the NBA is doing all this is to keep players safe, safe. If you feel isolated, well, we're in the middle of a global pandemic. We're supposed to be quarantined (laughs) as much as you can. Like, you're going to be on a massive resort doing your job. So many people can't do that right now. And I know it's different. But if you feel isolated on there, well, well, I mean, dude, we're, we're supposed to be quarantining to limit the spread. Yeah. The reason you're being isolated there is... To keep you safe. It's to keep your coaches safe who are older. It's to keep everyone safe. And it's also to do what you, I would hope, love doing, which is to play basketball and to compete. And you can do whatever else you want on that campus. There's going to be cameras. There's social media, millions of followers. Do whatever you want to do to fight this fight. We have so many technology is so widespread now that you can use it as a very valuable tool to fight these issues. And if that's not your thing, you don't have to show up. Bro, and, just think of it like summer camp. Grab yeah. a bonfire, cook some dogs on there, some s'mores. Like, I would love to see comp- uh, teams that are competing against each other just chill and play some pool. And, like, they should do, like, a Big Brother type thing and broadcast everything that's going on. That would be huge. That would be huge. And, uh, like, so I find it interesting also hearing the players that – um kind of have been speaking out against what Kyrie and Dwight Howard have been saying. Um, Like Ed Davis, for example, who's more of a role player. Whoa, Uh, superstar Ed Davis. Ex-Raptor Ed Davis. Some respect. Ex-Trailblazer Ed Davis. Ex-Raptor Ed Davis has said that a lot of, like a number of players need this. They need to come back to play because they need the money. They don't make... 20 30 million a year they don't have endorsement deals like Kyrie or dwight howard they don't have shoot deals like they 
need the prorated pay to afford their living, you know? So there's that. And like uh, Austin Rivers, another guy, he mentioned how there are many ways to fight this cause while still playing. Like players want to play. It's what they do. So I don't know. Like apparently the NBA has, has said that players who choose not to play have to notify their teams by June 24th. So that's, uh, I guess, sometime next week, next Wednesday. It's up to them. There's no discipline. They just won't get their pay uh, for those games. So, like, what are we expecting right now? How many players are going to show up? Like, I, I, I'm still assuming the majority. And I hope I, so. Like, yeah, and I feel like, I feel like players are going to sit down. Like, for example, Avery Bradley and Dwight Howard are two guys who have spoke out about this. Both of them are on the Lakers. Like, if the team sits down with them and like speaks to them and says, "This is what we can do." while still in Orlando, like maybe it will convince them, you yeah. know? And if, and if it doesn't, then they can do their own thing. But what, I, for me, if they don't show up to the site and just chill at home and keep being like Twitter warriors or keep making statements, then like, it's kind of hypocritical to me. If you don't show up because of this, I want you to do something about it. Mm-hmm. And as the great Patrick Beverly said, if LeBron James said he's hooping, we're all hooping. Yeah. That's, Dude, that's, that's the thing. Like, a lot of people try to paint Patrick Beverly in a bad light for that. But, like, the way I misconstrued that tweet is LeBron James has been the face of battling this exactly. fight for you. Yeah. A lot of NBA players, they choose to kind of stay in the darkness for this kind of stuff. They don't speak out about this, and, like, they don't have to. But LeBron James took it, has taken, a, taken it upon, upon himself to constantly speak out, to constantly help out the community in, yeah. in this regard. So if he wants to keep playing and he is ready to keep playing, then why shouldn't anybody else? Exactly. So, yeah, that's, that's kind of where I'm at. And, no, um, I feel you. I'm on the same boat with you, bro. I, I, I want some sports. Uh, yeah, I Toronto want- Raptors back-to-back champions, bro. Yeah, there we go. And there we go. <laughs> look, I'm not saying this is a money thing, but I mean, if there's no NBA games, the NBA loses a lot of money. That's going to affect the salary cap next year. It's going to affect contracts. So if players are unhappy about their next contracts, like, I mean, they decided not to play. That's, Bro, some of these players are going to be the ones that are going to be pissed off that they aren't getting paid the yeah. Supermax or whatever yeah. it is that the players prior to it got paid. And also, I think what's also being forgotten here is that if like these high-profile NBA players, they're, they're fine. Financially, they're exactly. good. And if this is something important to them, by all means, it's an important topic. But there's a lot of people on the lower levels of the NBA food chain who are going to lose their jobs if there's no NBA. Like a lot of people, interns, apprentices, people working in like different departments like analytics, basketball operations across literally every sport have yeah. been losing their jobs. And that and they don't make a lot of money. And they need that money to pay for rent, to pay for food, to pay for, for their phone bills. And they can't work. Yeah, man. So I understand that you're fine financially and like for you i guess it's easy to say i'm willing to just stop stop working and boycott the entire nba 
to fight this. But there are many people that aren't playing, but are making sure you're, you're playing at your best who are losing your jo- their jobs because of this. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, we got we got we got to move on. But I'm just saying, don't like don't create a hole somewhere else by trying to fill in. Fill, fill, fill another hole because you can really just take care of both by just being logical about it. And that, that's just my opinion. I agree. So moving on, um, something Kevin and I were talking about a little bit this week were the ball brothers who just announced that they're going to be signing with rock nation to, uh, dude, moving on up, moving on up from, uh, an embezzler, Alan Foster to, an actual proper management uh, team. That's yeah. That's big, dude. And like something we were talking about, and this is, this is going to create a little bit of discussion for us. Uh, we kind of been uh, throwing around the idea of just having this sort of debate format on our podcast every single week. What did we want to call this segment? A master debater. Master so, debater. Yeah. yeah. Who, who's going to be the greatest debater of all time? So, yeah. you know, clearly, if you're great at, if you're the best at something, you're the master of it. So, we'll, uh, we're going to go week by week, where we're going to have debates between um, either Rich and I, or whoever, if we have a guest on, and then we're going to tally. Uh, and the winner of that uh, that week is going to be the master debater of the week. Yeah. And going on forward, we're going to have a tally up how many wins each person has, and then they will become the master debater of the year, which is huge. Yeah. I've, as somebody who has master debated many times, I really want to be the master debater of the, of the year. I mean, I'm going to give you a fight for it. Cause there is no better master debater than me out there. <laughs> well, <laughs> Topic for this week. Hello, uh, mother. <laughs> hello, mother. Because the NBA draft was supposed to happen around this time, and we were really looking into like Lamelo Ball's um, stock. Um, something that was brought up in conversation was who would you if Lonzo Ball and Lamelo Ball were in the same draft? Which player would you rather have? And on top of that, this kind of opens up a conversation of what do we really look for and like really value in a prospect? So should be an interesting conversation. Yeah. So we're, we're going to do we, we've done this sort of um, uh, the, the this system before where we're going to have three arguments from each party for their um, point. And the three arguments are going to be within one uh, one minute per uh, perimeters, okay. And then I, I think we can uh, leave it up to our polls to figure out who won the arguments at the end of the day to dictate who was a master debater. Yeah. Okay. Let's do it. Let's go. Um, you, All right. You, uh, I can. You know what? I'll I'll do a age before beauty i'll let you go first richard is arguing for uh lonzo ball and i'm arguing that lamello ball is a far better prospect age before beauty um interesting um okay so the re- here's the thing okay, no one do one go okay here's <laughs> in my no i don't think anybody will dispute the fact that lamello has more upside but to me the way I look at both guys is 
sometimes it's better to have a safer pick. And that would always be Lonzo in my mind. There's LaMelo is so the the potential there is through the roof, but the volatility there is insane. With Lonzo, you can at least tell that there's a little bit of safeness there. He's a better defender and he has this gift of being an exceptional passer. He is he is what you would consider the prototypical point guard who runs your offense. And you know that at the very least, if his shot never translated over into the NBA, if other things didn't translate over, you would know that he can at least run your offense is better than 99% of the NBA. And that's what he's been doing. The shot hasn't always been there, but it's slowly improving. He's slowly getting better and better as a defender. He's not the most athletic guy, but you can tell that that mm-hmm. that passing ability, that ability to be, be a quick central point guard. I'm, I'm going to stop you right now. You got it. Go ahead. Go ahead. Terrible shot clock awareness. I'm just going to a shot clock awareness out there, Richard. You I'm, went like 12 seconds. When you start hearing the, mm-hmm, that's a calm, like, dude, shut up, man. Yo, oh, shut up, bad. Richard. My floor awareness isn't that good. It's not good, but boy, you were explosive. I'm going to tell you that much. Great point. Great point. Mm-hmm. But to rebuttal that point, yeah. when you go into a draft, it's again back to the same point where what are you looking for? Are you looking for somebody who is just NBA ready or, or are you looking for something in the future? A lot of the times when an NBA team picks very high, like one or two, which is where Lomelo is kind of projected to go. If you're going to pick up the, pick them up that high, you had a terrible season the year before and you probably have a, ter- a terrible team altogether. If that's the case, you're not looking for a player who's NBA ready, who you're going to put in the, into the team and go for the championship run that year. That's not what you're looking for. You're looking for a guy who's a prospect. And as you stated, your words, Lonzo has, th- I mean, LaMelo has the highest ceiling, which is what, uh, a GM is going to look uh, look in order to draft. He's going to look for a guy who, you know, might be incredible and you can develop over the next few years. His draft comp right now is Sean Livingston. Sean Livingston on a bad day, I'll take him. Absolutely. I mean, yeah, I mean, I guess what Sean Livingston was supposed to be. Is yeah. what you mean. Okay. No, that's completely fair. And you can see the comparison because of the size, the position. Um, you can see the comparable there. Is it my turn now to hit you back? All right, go for it. Dope. So, yeah, and I completely agree with you. LaMelo Ball has the potential. But for me, what I question the most at LaMelo Ball is his work ethic. And you can just kind of see it when you watch the video of him, like in high school and AAU. He's kind of of lackadaisical. It's cathargic. And he's really, really skinny. And he hasn't really made any strides throughout high school and throughout his time at in the NBL to really focus on his body. He's a horrible defender. And more, more than that, he takes possessions off on defense and on offense. He just, he seems like the guy who has so much potential, but he's let that potential kind of take him through high school and let him dominate high school because the talent's not as good. And that's not going to work in the NBA. And I really question if the work ethic is there to make that leap. Great point. Oh, wow. Under the time. There we go. Oh, that's pretty good. I don't know if that's good or bad. I mean, a clear master debater waits until 59 seconds, point five nine milliseconds. I don't, I don't even have a watch going right now. I'm just I mean, kind of... Kobe doesn't have the watch going when he is counting down the seconds in his mind. That's, that's true, but he does have... 
he does have a coach on the sideline telling no, not, not, not in away games. What are you talking about, Richard? Okay. Do you think in away games you're going to hear Phil Jackson being like, oh, that one time when I took that sip of peyote in the wilderness in South, uh, South, I don't know, South America. Nah, mm. man. <laughs> yeah, hearing that. Anyways, there, great Phil point. Is an imposing figure, and he has a very deep voice. He has a very deep voice. That's a pro- You know what's like the problem with deep voices? I feel like it projects well. No, Phil Jackson's voice does not project. Okay. If if I if I if I know like from listening to that documentary, him talking the documentary, yeah, did not project. But you know, Phil is a goat. We ain't gonna go with that. But great point, great point. Um, so I'm gonna start my timer. No. So being a huge fan of um, uh, the Ball Family's uh, docu series, I kept track of their high school games and their college games or whatever it is. Right. And you're so right. Like he seems really lethargic while playing in the high school games because it was so easy for him, dude. Like they were dummying teams by over 60, 70 points. Sometimes Like he doesn't even have to try. A lot of the times he grabs the board and throws it to the goat of the ball brothers, which is Leangelo ball. But let's mm-hmm. not forget, like, dude, this is a guy who has, uh, who, you know, instead of going out of there and averaging like 20 points against kids, he just directly <coughs> jumped in and went into play professional leagues in Lithuania and then uh, Australian ba- Basketball Association, where he went against grown men and put up 20 points. When he wants to try, he is the best ball brother out there. Yeah. And oh, yeah, I completely agree with that. It's just for, for me, I question if that's going to happen. Like to me. I understand that the competition he played against in AAU and NBL wasn't up to par, but like, I just watched this dude and I don't know him personally, obviously, but I just watch him like, to me, it's just not there. I don't think that work ethic is there. And I don't know if that's ever going to be there. I think he was spoiled as a kid. He was treated. He he was the, he was the little kid in a family of basketball players and LeVar ball kind of spoiled and sheltered all of these guys. And I think that, Partially affects this dude's work ethic. Like he feels like he can get anything he wants, and to me, I don't think he's going to take that next step. Dude, in like in high school, he shot the ball like under forty percent, and in the NBL, he shot the ball under forty percent. And he is he has the tools to improve. He has great height. He has like he really has like finesse when he plays, especially on the offensive side of the ball. But it's going to take a lot more than that in the NBA. I feel like he's going to just get bullied because of his size, because of his inability to like really hustle and put that extra effort in. And meanwhile, Lonzo, like he has a better NBA body and he has a very defined carrying tool, which is his passing ability. Mm-hmm. Okay, great point. Great point. But why? Okay, before I start my time, I, I want to ask, well, why do you say better NBA body? I just, I just feel that his, his frame is better, and he exact same frame. And it's the, I think the frame is still. Dude, I, he's um, so Lonzo is six seven with a six nine uh, wingspan and hundred and ninety pounds. Well, uh, a Lamelo Ball is six eight with the same wingspan and the same weight. Thanks. Wait, six. Wait, sorry. Say, say the so. One six six, six seven, six seven. Lonzo is six seven with a six nine wingspan. 
Okay. Lamelo is six eight with the exact same wingspan. And they're the same size. Same weight. Is that accurate? Uh, from everything I've read on Google, yeah. And when you see them stand beside each other, yeah, they, they look the exact same to me. Like, he had a growth spurt. He was 5'10 uh, the last time he was kind of, I guess, in America. In yeah. Like. I don't know. To me, like, Lonzo Ball looks a little beefier to me. And I feel like just being... Tattoos, man. The tattoos, you know, it's not, make it's you not, look a little bigger. It's not even the tattoos, and I know some of my arguments are are kind of subjective, and I'm I like to be more rational, but I feel oh, like are you an eye test guy right now? Is that what's happening? No, it's more of just no, it's not eye test for me. It's more so like feel. Okay, wait, what well, you've been feeling, Lonzo? No, no, no. Like the master debating should be just with, between us, okay? You should be. like no, like the feel I have just like watching these guys. Okay. Yeah. been in the spotlight for a really long time. Like Lonzo Ball being that first one to the league, I feel mm-hmm. like he had to have a different type of personality. Like he was being that first one, I feel like at least his work ethic was a little higher. And like by all accounts, like when he was coming through UCLA and entering the league, everybody kind of lauded his work ethic. Rich, I respect that, but like this is my argument time. Okay. Yeah. You you made you made your cake. You put layers on it and you put icing on it. Now you're putting sprinkles on top of it. Relax. You had turn for your sprinkles. It ain't time for your sprinkles, boy. Your sprinkles uh-huh. turn is done. This is my last. This is my nail in the coffin. Sure. This happen, okay. So time started. So no, I get it. Lonzo got into the league first. So the age difference. So Lonzo was four years older than him. Okay. Yeah. And then Le- uh, Leangelo. We have to mention Leangelo. He's three three years older than him. Melo grew up with these guys in his early like early teens. Like you're looking at twelve, thirteen. Around that time, he was in the exact same training as his fifteen and sixteen year old brothers were. He was running the exact same distance, lifting the exact same weights, playing one on one against these guys, and playing going to the park and playing against competitions that were adequate for that sixteen year old brother who was just getting ready to go to UCLA. Mm-hmm. I, that was the competition Lamelo grew up with. Lamelo, the game is so easy for him. That's why we see the sort of lethargic and that nonchalant sort of game style. But also, let's not hold it against him. Like this kid, he's a he was a kid this whole time. Like we question his character and everything like that, but he was a kid, and that was his growing stage. But I I think with the right sort of mentorship, he could have an insane NBA career. And based on that ceiling, I would pick Melo over Lonzo. Yeah, like, and I totally agree with everything you're saying. This is a hard discussion for me to have because, like, I agree that Lamelo has the higher upside. I just think he's more volatile. I think Lonzo Ball is, like, safer all around. Dude, but You're a gambling man. I am a gambling man. And it also really depends on what the team is looking for, what stage they are in their development. Like if they're at the very beginning, they can take a gamble on a guy like Lamelo Ball. But if they're kind of like already getting there, they have a young core and they want someone safer than Alonzo Ball, it's more sense. Like for me, when I was, Alonzo uh, was the 2017 draft, I believe. Like, yeah. Yeah. So when I, like on ballandroll.com, I was looking through um, my mock draft before the draft, and I had Lonzo Ball, I think, either five or six that year because I just didn't see that 
insane upside in him, right? With a guy like Lamelo, I see that insane upside. So obviously, he should be like a top one or two pick. And I think it's like I like the point that you made that he makes the game look so easy, and he does. The game is very, very easy for him, which is something I value when I look at a at a at a player, whatever sport. But it's going to be if he can, if that work ethic can come in on the next level, because I think he's very capable of being the best Paul brother. At this time, I just don't know if it's going to happen. And mentorship is going to be important. It's going to be key where you are, what players are around you, what the development system is. But at the end of the day, it's going to be between his ear. Not going to be that good. He'll be bullied around the size. He'll be Okay, okay. Yeah. Um, I'm sorry, you cut out for a little bit, but dude, this whole quarantine thing, it's rough, man. It's so rough. Let me just say, because with technology, it's we just we just surviving. But to sum everything up, um, so to, to our listeners, tune in tomorrow when we well by tomorrow it will be today when you uh, when the episode drops on Wednesday. Uh, oh no, is the episode dropping on the 18th, right? Thursday. Rich. Yeah. Rich? Thursday, right? Thursday. So, okay, so Thursday. So to our listeners out there, tune in to the episode on Thursday. And by uh, by the evening, I'll post a poll on our Instagram page. If you don't follow it yet, go follow Pick and Pod. Uh, but on the page, we'll have a story with a poll uh, with both parties and vote according to who you think is the master debater, who you think is the greatest master debater of this topic. And we will assign the winner next week. Yeah. Uh, so how are you, how are you going to do this? Are you just going to go like rich team Lonzo, Kevin? Team- oh, don't worry. I have a very creative way. Okay. Oh, you're the you're you're just the creative mastermind. I'm like I'm actually. like I'm like a better version of M Night Shyamalan, which doesn't say much. That's really doesn't. I mean, he's an Indian guy who created some really good movies, but also one terrible Avatar: The Airbender movie. Fair. But. Um. Okay. That's that's a fair point. Um. Taking so with as you, we draft topic. W- w- yeah. Go ahead. No. No. Rich. You're the MC. I'm gonna let you have this. Thank I, you. I, I, I just waited it to you. Uh, thank you. I appreciate it. Before we talk some more draft stuff, ballandroll.com, your spot for the best basketball content on the web. Shop.ballandroll.com, your spot for the hottest basketball merch on the web. So, like Kevin said, we're going to be sticking with the draft. And something that I really find interesting is what goes into making a selection. And obviously that is, what do you value in a prospect, whether it's projectability, whether it's athleticism, whether it's IQ, whether it's feel for the game. So, Kevin, I kind of wanted to talk to you about this. Say we're both GMs of an NBA team, right? Yeah. Like, What is, to me, I feel like every single team needs to have a draft strategy going into a draft. Like we have to understand well, like they have to understand what they're going for. So if somebody who's on their draft board gets goes off the board, like what's the strategy? Is it going to stay the same or are they just going to fall apart, right? Mm-hmm. I feel like 
he needs a, str- a strategy going in. So that being said, what would your strategy be, Kevin? So we'll do we'll do a draft order where you know we go one, two, three, four, five, six, so four picks each. Yeah. Um, so as a GM, you know, I I have this theory where I think I can create the championship team based off this draft. Like, you know, when you say, like, don't blame a team for drafting properly, people are going to say that about me. Like, I'm going to be drafting so perfectly. So my first thing I look for in a guy in a draft is, you know, a guy who's had a girlfriend since high school. I mean, you look at some of the greats, like LeBron, Joe Flacco, Philip Rivers, Darren Williams, all married wifeys from high school and stayed out of trouble. I'm looking for a dude that, you know, comes out for practice yeah, you know, grab some food from the catering service and also grabs an extra Tupperware, not Tupperware, extra container for his wife. And like just goes home and binge watches like real wife or real housewives and then like shows up the next day. I don't have to worry about going and picking him up from Vegas. That's that would be the first thing I look for. <laughs> uh, OK, I didn't expect you to go there with your first. Uh, so. For me, if I was a DM, I would always go with an athlete. And what I'm, <laughs> dude, I, I like, I would always like, I, like. No, you're I, right. Like, trust me, you're right. I'm just seeing, you know, a GM. It's completely GM different from one. You, it's a completely different from what you said. But I would always, I would always bet on the athlete because obviously the majority of prospects come into the NBA very raw. They come in very young. You want the tools to eventually come together and translate onto the court. So I'd rather take a gamble on the on the athlete, the better athlete. That's why I had a guy like Lonzo Ball, five or six on my draft board, and guys like De'Aaron Fox, number one on my draft board, because I will always take the athlete because I expect that things will click for them. Yes. That's a solid pick. What do you got now? See, I'm a basketball purist, of course. Uh-huh. So being a basketball purist, um, I'm going to go with, you know, I, I really value team chemistry. It's huge for me. It's really big for me. So handshakes, you know, a guy yeah. who can get very creative. I don't want the, just the two hands collapse and shake. I don't want that. Like, I want everything cool. I want one leg dance in circle and things like that. You look at LeBron. He's got a handshake with every single player. You know, Landry Fields, GOAT. He had a handshake with every single Raptor, especially with Jeremy Lin during his Linsanity time. And some say his Linsanity was fueled by those handshakes. So handshakes, because that's, a, that's like a catalyst to unlock potentials. Right. That's my number so, two. Let me get this straight. So when Scout comes to you with a bunch of video and prospects, you're analyzing the handshakes pre I would be like, skip all this. I don't want to see him hit a shot from half court. Show me his handshake. Fair. So you're like breaking down the handshakes. So in your scouting report, you're going to have an entire hand, an entire section on handshakes, chemistry. Does he like go crazy for his teammates when they dunk kind of stuff? So the handshakes, it's based off a scoring system. It's still patent pending. Uh, it's proprietary information, so I can't really talk about it over here. Uh, I'm going to have to discuss with my lawyer first. But uh, there's a scoring system where, you know, uniqueness is a factor. Uh, yeah. The creativity, 
Um, the angle sometimes that the hands engage in, that, that's huge. Whether the player wipes his hand before he engages in a handshake, which is really huge. I, I hate it when guys, you know, when they, uh, after games, they put the jersey by their mouths and then like grab their wet jersey and then they come in for like the sloppiest handshakes. Disgusting, mm-hmm. especially during COVID-19. It's a big no-no. So, yep. you know, I take all that into account. I I appreciate all the effort that goes into your draft. Um, but let's see. My next one. Your shit's going to be so serious. I'm so ready for this. Serious. I, I, I like this kind of stuff. Like, this is the shit I think about. Every, <laughs> like, every time the draft rolls around. Like, what? Oh, I, me too. No, clearly. Very <laughs> clearly you do. Um, I like projectability. God. So... <laughs> There's nothing that gets me go- – like, this is why I, I was on the Pascal Siakam bandwagon the second he got drafted. I love – there's something about a projectable 6'9", 6'10 frame that – of, like, an explosive athlete that I just love. Okay. Save this for your master debating later. Like, dude, I'm just saying, I would take – I would take a 6'10 guy who's athletic – and projectable any day of the week. For sure. Because if my development system is good, I'm, I'm all in. I'm going to take my risk. And sometimes it doesn't work out. Like, for example, the Raptors have had a very similar draft strategy for quite a while now. And sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Like, for example, with Pascal Siakam, it worked. For a guy like Bruno Caboclo, it did not. Because, but if you look, both of them have a very similar profile in terms of like their their size, their projectability, their athleticism, and you got to give credit to teams like that who, even when they don't hit on a draft selection, they stick to that draft strategy. Like they have done consistency. You know, like you're not just gonna make a pick and go like, ah, shit, it didn't work. We're gonna change everything. No, you believed in it. That's why you made that selection. So you're going to keep going down the well. And they did exactly that with Pascal Siaka. If they gave up after seeing what happened to Bruno Caboclo, they would have never, ever taken a guy like Pascal Siaka. You're so right. That, that was actually my number three pick. But like, I, I totally agree. A lot of the times, you know, coming up with a proper system on cre- creating the perfect franchise, it sometimes falls to the victim of not hitting the first or second time, and then the person who came up with that idea scrapping it, right? When you have, when you come up with an idea of creating the perfect team, stick with it. Like, if you truly believe with it, stick with it, because one day it will pan out. And the Raptors did that, and clearly it did. You hit the lottery with a guy like Pascal Siakam, where this young and his ceiling is just, I, I don't even know where his ceiling is. So, great number two pick for you, Richard. So, wait, that was number two for you, right? No, number three? That was number two. I had athleticism one, projectability two. Great. Great pick. Great pick. So with my number three, this is huge. This is really big. I really value this because there is statistical evidence why this works. I call this lending a helping hand. Very big. 
So this consists of many different things. So when a player, you know, goes in for a layup and just gets bodied by Bill Lambier and you're laying on the ground and you're concussed and everything is dizzy and you see two of uh, Isaiah Thomas's and like you need a teammate to come and lend a helping hand to lift you up because that's huge, man. Or else like how are you supposed to walk to the uh, walk, walk to the free throw line, you know, or like say your star player, LeBron James, gets a cramp like you have to carry that guy off the court. That's big. Kev, can I ask you a quick question? What's up? When was the last time a dude got destroyed by Bill Lambeer? I mean, okay, you t- that's all semantics. I don't want to talk about that. But let me throw some stats your way. By stats, I mean just absolute nonsense and words. Okay, so I'm going to throw some names your way. Kyle Corver, yeah, Chauncey Billups, Shane Battier, Ray Allen, Joe Dumars, and Steph Curry. What are uh, What do they all have in common? They're very good at basketball. I mean, they all, they've all won an NBA title in their career at least once. Okay. Also, they won another title. Do you know what the other title is? Is it like some sportsmanship of the year award? Okay, shut up, Richard. It's not just some sportsmanship of the year. You're you're, you're a, uh, I can't speak. Anyways, it is the National Basketball Association Sportsmanship Award. That's what that is. So the fact that they went both of that in their career, you think it's a coincidence? I don't think so. That's what they call championship uh, DNA. So that's my number three pick. Jesus, Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm curious. We can totally like run a study to see how many players to have won this award went on to win the NBA championship. Dude, I, I looked it up. Let me see. Um, there's only a few guys who I, I think missed out, like Grant Hill and um, who else was there? NBA Sportsmanship. Let me see. Let me see. I got you. I got you, bro. I got you. I got you. Because, like, okay, yeah, like Kemba Walker, Mike Conley, Jason Kidd. But you look, you, you hear these names? Do you hear these names? Yeah. Avery Johnson. Eric Snow, David Robinson. He won, Oh, my bad. I forgot about David Robinson. Another ring right there. Steve Smith, Alton Brad. These are goats. Blue all dang. These are some of the greats who ever played the game, and they won the NBA Sportsmanship Award of the Year. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Dude, because like, you watch Moneyball, right? Like, Yeah. You're a fan of that movie, right? You know when like Jonah Hill came out and he was like talking about on-base percentages and things like that? And everyone was like, nah, but what about his butt? Or like what kind of girlfriend he has? That's what you sound like right now. You're so far behind. I am like 50 years ahead of you right now. This is the future of the league, right? Jump on this train while you have a chance. So you're not projecting whether they're going to be good or not. You're projecting whether they win this award. And if they win this award, they were mo- they will more than likely be good because here's a list of all the guys who have succeeded after getting this award. Okay, I completely don't stand by the way you worded that. Okay, what I'm saying is that I'm going to look for characteristics which all of these players embodied, which some of the players that I'm going to draft embody as well. Uh huh. Which means you know just lending a helping hand, trademark pending, but. Okay. Imagine myself like you're on the ground and I, a hand comes through. That, that's no, a I, champion. I, I would have, I would have remained on the ground until that hand came through. 
that's exactly that's a lot of the times players do have you ever seen the funniest thing to me is uh it happens a lot in soccer actually where when a player gets uh falls on the ground the opponent tries to come and like lend a helping hand and then like your teammate would come and like swat that hand away it's like no that's not your teammate that's mine i'm gonna pick him up so you want that guy that guy who swats the opponent's hand out the way to lift his brother up yeah that's big that's huge um, okay, so I guess my next one, um, I guess number three for me, we want athleticism, projectability, and this is going to sound kind of like baseball, because in baseball you hear this term a lot, you hear kickers. Hey, what? No, never mind. No. That's not me. No, you hear um, something called a carrying tool. So yeah. baseball, for example, um, Barry Bonds, let's take... Let's take Mike Trout. Mike Trout has been always able to hit. So that bat is going to be the carrying tool that took him from level to level from the minor leagues to single A, double A, triple A, all the way to the majors. Right. Well, that's a bad example because Mike yes. Trout's very good at everything. But let's see. Let me think. Um, I think I think I know what you're trying to say. You're talking about like from uh, Space Jam, where Magic uh, Michael uh, Michael no. special juice. No, shut up, Kevin. So oh. I'm trying to think of an actual MLB player that you know. Oh, uh, dude, I know everybody. Name me got name me MLB players that you know. Uh, slowly, slowly, one by one. Slowly, okay. Uh, Bryce Harper, uh, Vladimir Guerrero. Perfect. Stop, stop, stop. Bryce Harper. Want me to go slowly. Okay. No, Bryce Harper. Perfect. When you watched him as a high schooler and then when he went to Juco. I didn't know such Well, I'm just saying, just a general scout. You yes. watched him and you're like, maybe his speed doesn't translate over. He's not the fastest guy. Maybe he's not meant to play center field and he's going to have to move to a corner outfield spot because the defense isn't there. But when you look at his bat, the power is off the charts by the way the ball flies off the bat. That is the tool that's – if the other things don't come along and aren't above average, that power tool is going to be that thing that takes him from single A to double A to triple A, and it's going to take him to the major leagues. And that power is at least going to help him create production for a team. Same thing, same thing in the NBA draft. Like That's why I, the point I made with Lonzo Ball that – he might have. He might not be the greatest shooter. He might not be an elite defense defensive player. But he is his elite tool is his ability to run an offensive pass. So you know, if everything else doesn't happen for him and it doesn't click, that he's still going to have value as a passer, as a guy who can facilitate, as a guy who can run your offense. So you know that if you're taking a super projectable kid, right, someone super athletic. And you're hoping that things click for him. But at least he has that. Like Kyle Korver, you don't know what else is – you don't know if the defense or anything else is going to come. But he's always going to be an elite shooter. Same thing with Steph Curry. You didn't know he was going to become this elite basketball player who can do just about anything. But you knew that he was going to be an incredible shooter. Same thing with Klay Thompson. You knew he was going to, going to be an incredible shooter. So you take the gamble because you know that at the very least they're going to be really valuable assets. Maybe not as superstars, but as good role players. Yeah, bro. You had me at power tools, by the way. I'm sold. 
I'm, I'm, I've recently been a DIY guy, so I'm, I'm all about power tools. You got me, dude. Count me in. I'll, I'll, I'll buy two, two shares into your stocks right now. Yeah. Okay. Talk to my money guy. I'll send him. I'm my own money guy, by the way. Anyways, but <laughs> with my last pick, this pick has direct ties to how your teammate performs, both mentally mm-hmm. and also statistically as well. Okay. So. What I call this is proper sideline technique. Prime example, 100% finals record. Well, who, what comes to your mind? Which player comes to your mind? Robert Ory. No, pa- Patrick McCaw. What the, what's wrong with you? My bad, my bad. What's wrong with you? He has, he has proper sideline technique down to a science. That yeah. withholding all his teammates from entering the court, big. But not just that. Well, how you celebrate after uh, an emphatic play that your teammate does or how you mourn over something bad that happens or how you don't kind of exaggeratedly laugh or uh, kind of enjoy one of when one of your teammates kind of mess up. Right. It's, it's all it's all a science. Also, another thing, when I'm talking about statistically not affecting your teammate. You know when, like, sometimes your uh, the player doesn't wear the warm up jersey or something on top, and they stand up, but they're not actually on the court. But your teammate that's on the court hits you with a pass, but like you're supposed to be on the bench. See, that's bad. That's bad sideline techniques. You have to be sitting or wearing a warm up jersey. Everybody knows that. So these all affect your championship abilities. Yeah. You're, you're welcome. Like this is dude, this is all proprietary information that I'm sharing with all our listeners because you know we love our listeners. That's why we're trying to groom the best GM out there. It sounds like you're with all these things that you look for. It sounds like you're describing an NFL punter. I mean, okay, Richard, how are you gonna air out my dirt, my my signs like that? Okay, I I told you that. In privacy, because I trusted you. That was my ticket out of here. It's, okay, it's, it's that just, was my ticket. It's it's just you. Everything you're describing sounds like if an NBA, if an NFL punter transitioned into the NBA, he yeah. would be this guy. I mean, since we're already this deep in, and you just told everybody about my future, my lottery ticket. So I have this idea that no matter what sport. It, basketball, baseball, football, hockey, I don't care what it is, just draft strictly kickers and punters only. Right. Only. Right. Imagine a team consisting of like 10 Pat McAfee's and like one Justin Tucker. Championships. Yeah. That's Word. it. Yeah, <laughs> Championships. Bet. Let's go. <laughs> yeah, boys. Secure, secure the venue for the parade afterwards. That's uh-huh. what's gonna happen. Because I, I really think I can create a team that has, you know, a big chip on their shoulder that knows that they have to earn their spot on the roster. Who might not be that athletic, who might not be that fit, yeah. and who might not be that tall or anything like that. But they, if they can come together with amazing chemistry, they can go out there and beat the Golden State Warriors. They can beat the Toronto Raptors. They can beat the New York Knicks if they have to. Only if they have to. They have to, but it's, it's really optional if you have to beat New York Knicks. It's by choice most of the times uh, Knicks lose by. Okay. Uh, the last thing that I would want when I'm drafting is kind of like what LaMelo does. He makes the game look easy. I want 
a guy who makes what they're doing look incredibly easy, no matter what level they do it on, and whether it's in, in high school or in college. And you see it, you usually see that translate over into that, into the, um, into the NBA. Like obviously, obviously a guy like LeBron James is a, is a bad example because he makes the game look so easy. But like, think about like Steph Curry, for example, no, not many people thought he was going to become this type of player when he went from Davidson, which is a mid-major, to the NBA. But in Davidson, he would make the game look so easy when he played, it's just by the way he would handle it, etc. Here as well, he makes it look so easy. And you don't even have to think about it like all-stars, you know? Like guys like J.J. Redick, what they do on a basketball court, they make it look so effortless, right? Like I don't want... When I see a guy who, like, it seems like he's struggling up and down the floor and it's, it seems like there's a lot of effort that, like, it requires a lot of effort for him to do what he does, I don't know. That kind of, I'm not about that. I want a guy who, like, plays loose, is makes everything look easy, and, he, and like, lets that athleticism and his feel for the game take over. I, I'm all about the loosey-goosey play. Yeah, play for like, me. Yeah, one hundred percent. You know, I, like you, you know those dudes, like you know, they're not tall, tall dudes, but they're average height guys that come to your YMCA for pickup ball, and then they warm up with like three point shots. What do you define an average height guy? Like six eight. Oh, I thought you were going for like I, I thought that was an attack at me. Whoa, <laughs> what just happened? Richard, I'm just saying. I'm just, I feel like you always got your wall up. Like your defense is just ready to fire at all times. Well, What's going on, Doug? Well, the thing is, as a 5'9 guy, it's different. Nah, you can round up. No, 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 no. Like, I can round up and all the Wait, time. have you already rounded up? Is that why you're 5'9? Here's the thing. If I ever introduce myself, I say I'm 5'10. You have to. I have to. Yeah. But yeah. when I go to the doctor's office... It's 5'9". When I measure myself, it's 5'9". And I feel like this is something I would never wish upon even my greatest nemesis. I don't want anybody to have to deal with being 5'9". Because, <laughs> like, I'm lucky to have a girlfriend. But yeah, the, shoot, I, shout out to Lenny. But, like, the 5'9 guys out there, they're, they're just not 5'10". You know? Like... Girls look for guys who are six feet tall. And, like, when you have, like, at least that you carry the one over and you're 5'10", like, that plays. But when you're 5'9", man. Let me, let me pull out my abacus real quick. Yeah, okay, carry the one over. Yeah, I'm just yeah, just saying, man. Like, no, no, I feel you, dude. Like, see, the thing is that I'm not, I'm not crazy tall. I'm only, like, 7'2". But, I, you know, sometimes I wish, you know, I, I wasn't, like, a... In my worst, in my worst nightmare, I would be like five six, five seven. Fair. Oh. Five nine is not bad, dude. Five nine is pretty good. Like the thing is, it doesn't matter what you're listed as. Okay, what do you feel as? Do you feel like you're six four? Oh do you no, I feel like I, you're six seven. No, I carry myself around like I'm six foot one and a half. Six. No, you're six six nine, dude. I don't want to be six nine. Why not? Because I'm not projectable though. But it's like, nice. I'd be a very unprojectable six nine. But Richard, it's nice. I know. But I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that number dirty because I'm not projectable. That's true. <sighs> but yeah, that's true. but like here's the thing, Cap. You're you're six feet, right? Seven two. No, uh, no. 
Kev. Oh, real life? Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm just, uh, six feet. Have you ever, when, like, I'm sure somebody, I'm sure a girl has asked you before, how tall are you? What was, what was the most you went? Ever? No, I've never uh, given more than six feet. Yeah, but so you're always said you're six feet tall. Yeah, my biggest fear is, dude, somebody calling me out. Like, if I did like six one and the girl shows up with like a ruler, dude, like, I'm done. I, I have fully. I'll admit it. I fully lied about my size. What did you say you were? For sure? The the highest I've ever gone was saying I'm six feet tall, which is a lie. It's a flat out lie. <laughs> like, I, I remember this so vividly. I was in in my uh, freshman year at Western, and I was talking to somebody, and and she was like five foot five. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And like, okay, five foot five. So you're probably hoping for a guy who's a little taller. Yeah. So I'm talking, and I'm like, I'm six feet. Just like you're, you're not gonna pull out a, you're not gonna measure, right? All you got, like, as long as she looks up, which she has to because she's five five, that's mm-hmm. it. It's a done deal. I'm six feet. As yeah. long as it's up to me, I, I can be whatever I want. But, but like that ass, what what if you guys just go into like one of those roller coaster things as in a date, and where you stand and be like, oh, if you're not this tall, I'm don't screwed. go in. I'm screwed. You screwed her. Like, dude, even worse, when you leave, like, a uh, not a 7-Eleven anymore. Well, yeah, 7-Eleven. When you leave a 7-Eleven, they have, like, the height markers on the side in case somebody robs and runs out to figure out what the height is. Look, Kevin, as a 5'9 guy, you're aware of this, and you have to be careful, and you have to plan everything. Ten Damn. Minutes. Okay. Like, I've never, I've never had to lie that much about my – like, I've only said I was 6 feet once in my life. I've said I was 5'9". Okay, five, okay five, be straight, Okay. Imagine our listeners on here. Be straight. Have you ever said you're over six feet? Like, have you ever said six four? Never. I've never said I was over six four. I've said six feet once. I've I have said that I'm five eleven many times. Like, dude, many you're allowed to say five eleven. I I personally think you hit a growth spurt recently where you are five eleven. No, I met but with I, shoes I, and I, without I, shoes, Richard. That so, matters. So without shoes, um, <laughs> without shoes, I'm actually closer to five eight. Yeah. I, I just measured myself like about a, a month ago. So I'm like, why would you do this? I, I was curious, man. It's been a while. Have you never heard curiosity kill the cat? No, uh, but with shoes, it's five nine. Like I'm I'm five nine with shoes. That has I'm never catching it without shoes on. <laughs> my my dude's gonna be strapped up all the time. So like you understand why I have to do this? Yeah. No, dude, I understand. It's tough, man. It's a really tough life. Like. What's the weather like down there? On that note, we should wrap this up. <laughs> this has been the Ball and Roll Picking Pod. Talked about a lot of shit. We'll do that again next week. Ballandroll.com, your spot for the bas- hottest basketball. We're going to start again. Ballandroll.com, your spot for the best basketball content on the web. Shop.ballandroll.com, your spot for the hottest basketball merch on the web. Kevin will be back next week. Can't wait to hear your beautiful voice again. Sure, will you be back next week? It's gonna... We'll see. Peace. June 21 is coming. It will, we'll see. Peace, guys. <laughs>